Well, hello and welcome to Inexos Access All Areas. My name is B, and I will be co-hosting this series of podcasts with my Inexos nerd, Hayden Murdoch. We will be delving deep with you all to explore everything there is to know about this iconic band of brothers in excess, sharing music, tours, videos, albums, and oh, so much more. Happy in excess day! Hello, everybody. Be asked me before the show. We're going to mix it up. Well, I've just mixed it up. Welcome to In Excess. In Excess, all areas. <laughs> You're joining a podcast that celebrates all things good about In Excess. Happy In Excess Day. Happy In Excess Day. Although, isn't it always In Excess Day? Every day is In Excess Day on this podcast. It's like that uh, line in Monty Python, The Meaning of Life. It's heaven every day here. It's oh. what? No, it's Christmas every day here in heaven. Uh, <laughs> so, happy In Excess Day. Welcome to the podcast. We won't do the big trappings of the podcast. You know who we are and what we're doing and what we aim to be. I hope so by now, everybody. It is August 16th today and mm-hmm. it is an excess day. It is Tim Ferriss's birthday. Lots of joy and love going around the community and uh, even in the media, B, there have been a few little articles and interviews today on Australian TV. Yes. How has your in excess day been today, um, well, I had to work it, but I made sure that everybody knew it was in excess day today. Yes. It's been wonderful um, in my little breaks, looking at everybody's comments and um, and love. the lots of love out there and lots of sharing. So thank you for that, guys. But we'll, we'll talk more about that in fan engagement when we bring Danielle in. 100%. So August 16th, uh, 1977, uh, this sextet is what you refer to as a six. Uh, person band B. I know you have a different uh, uh, definition for that, but uh, they all played to friends, family, uh, ex uh, high school buddies uh, at a 21st. I guess it was a very exciting night because this is where NXS were born on a live sense and then went on to sort of uh, tour around and cut their craft and play covers and about three years later enter the studio for the debut album. It is obviously a great day today. Yes, because it's Timmy's birthday. It is Tim's it's birthday. It's Timmy's birthday. So, yes, he was 20 at the time of um, the birth of NXS, but happy birthday, Timmy. So um, he is 66 today. Absolutely. And he's getting his he's getting his kicks on Route 66. There you All go. All right. Okay. okay. I did notice that our gorgeous Mark Bartlett um, put something together. Did you read that earlier? Can uh, I read it out to you? You can read that. No, I mm, haven't come mm. across my desk. No. Happy 46th in excess day. I've always recognised this date for a number of reasons. I'll list the ones of interest chronologically. Uh, 1958, Madonna was born. 1962, Ringo Starr joins the Beatles. So technically also Fab Four Day as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 1977, in excess day. Also Elvis died. Rest in peace, the king. Correct. Correct. Also, look at me. I'm Sandra D was filmed on the Greece film set upon hearing that Elvis had died the line Elvis Elvis let me be keep your pelvis far from me I always love that line as well was added to the lyrics on the spot so we have a little slice of 16th of August 1977 on that film as well so Greece wow. yeah that's Fantastic. lovely isn't it thank you Mark for that Absolutely. Uh, oh, can I also say that our gorgeous Ali Law and her husband and Peter Law are in Prague at the moment, sent us some great photos. How about being in Prague on In Excess Day? Do you wow. know the revel- <laughs> the reference to that? 
Well, you know, we know there were three famous film clips shot there, so great we had to see those uh, pictures of those certain uh, landmarks, I guess, on this particular, or in this particular era now, some 36 years later, so be keen to see those. Now, B, uh, it has been uh, a week or two since we've spoken deep dive, but uh, what's come across your, your desk, I guess, you know, in excess day aside, is anything that uh, you can update the listeners with? Well, I will will in fun engagement, but one actually stuck out for me. I, I speak to a guy, we call him Benny or Ben, um, and his name's Ian Bennington. He's the drummer for the NXS UK. What yep. a trooper. He was he was getting his drum kit out of the back of the van and he sliced all of his skin off his shin, right? Before nice. the performance and and still went on stage and performed. What a trooper. You are amazing. Well, he's emulating John Farris. You had a bad knee injury, so oh. he's really he's a he's a method actor drummer, he isn't is he? He's a method actor a method, drummer. Method cover <laughs> drummer actor <laughs> impresario. Well done. Fantastic. So if you're in the UK, check out the NXS UK band. They're brilliant. Yeah, B, I've got a little bit of news. Oh, okay. Your good news or bad news? Well, it is uh, a great friend of the podcast. We might have to make him a patron because, look, you know, we can be bribed here at NXS Access All Areas. And uh, uh, Nui Takoa very, very kindly invited me last week to the launch of the uh, Mushroom Music uh, documentary, which was called Ego, which was the Michael Kedinsky story. Uh, for those who don't know, Michael was very famous uh, head of Mushroom Records and was probably ahead of his uh, time. And uh, a lot of uh, major Australian talent and acts came from that stable. And uh, I guess famously in excess did uh, a Mushroom release through the good times with Jimmy Barnes. And Jimmy was under the Mushroom label. Uh, but that was on at the Forum Theatre, which is a, a lovely theatre here in Melbourne. And uh, I had a chance to meet up with Newey. He got me a ticket and he let me actually uh, stand next to him on the red carpet B. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I say next to the red, well, actually not on, next to the red carpet. Next. <laughs> and and uh, it was really interesting, B, because at the side of just where I was standing, there was a certain person standing there, a little guy there. I thought, I know that guy's face, dressed in black. And it just happened to be the gentleman who sung our outro song last week, which was Mark Seymour from yeah. Hunters and Collectors. Yeah. Uh, so the song, Throw Your Arms Around Me, uh, I'm standing there going, geez, hope we've given uh, royalties to this because this is about to go out as I'm, as I'm saying hello, <laughs> shaking hands. But uh, Mark was very, very kind and uh, I said, oh, you don't do the red carpet. He goes, nah, nah, nah. you know, I'm not uh, I'm not that uh, up myself to be walking red carpets. Uh, <laughs> but uh, everyone on the red carpet had no idea who they were and everybody avoiding the red carpet were pretty famous. There was, um, uh, who was there? There was Guy Pierce there, B. I think I sent a photo of you. And It was great having the updated photos. And I think the, I was doing little photo snaps as I went along. <laughs> uh, a very famous Australian actress, Asha Ketty, great actress was there. There was people from the Skyhooks. Uh, Mark Opitz was there with his son who I oh, met. Oh, nice. Uh, which was lovely. Um, and... Uh, yeah, Danny Minogue came in, walked the red carpet and went mm-hmm. straight home. So, wow. well done, Danny. Oh. Uh, great, great, uh, you know, uh, all about your image and going mm. home. So, um, you know, you can piss off. Uh, but, uh, yeah, uh, that's why you're the, that's why, that's why you're the second Minogue, uh, the most second famous Minogue in the world. Uh, but anyway, over to you, Boo. And um, did you meet Matt Gadinsky? I didn't meet him, but I saw Newey interview him next to me and I just oh, respectfully okay. stood back. But yeah. uh, Matt got up on stage and uh, did a little speech uh, before the movie and uh, got a chance to sort of see uh, and hear from him a little bit through some interviews that were going on. Mm-hmm. And was um, In Excess mentioned in any of the filming or anything? Or they was were, there- not so much in the filming. What happened is the Bruce Springsteen cover yeah. that of him doing Don't Change with the band uh, midway through the uh, doco came on. Ooh. So I grabbed my phone out and I started filming it 
problem was when your iPhone's been in the dark for a while and you pull it out, there was a flash of stream and lighting and about half the audience turned around and looked at me and I, Oops, I sort of – Put it away. I was sort of like, oh, oh whoops, I just sort of dropped it on the ground. So, uh, uh, yeah, so I felt uh, about as big as a pin in the ocean on that <laughs> one. Funny. But, uh, yeah, that was about it. So, uh, yeah, it was a, well it was a great Well done, night. Hayden. At least you yeah. tried, yeah. I know, Well, I was I quite happy with my uh, photo that you sent me of um, the bottom anyway, so thank I'm you for that. I'm actually quite sure in if it was Guy Pierce, but I'm going to say it was for the sake of. Uh, let's, we like won't, let, like we won't let facts get in the way of a good story. I, th- I think it was. Um, I guess bringing down a little tone or two, uh, we've we got a bit of a special one today. Uh, uh, even though it's in excess week, um, we feel very, very much obliged to. Uh, do something that in excess would probably do, and that is think about other people. And we, over the last few weeks, uh, have been mentioning, I guess, two very, very special items to auction off and raffle off uh, for Ollie Olsen and, and do a revenue raise. So we sort of think, B, this is sort of a bit of a feature special episode. We've never really done like a telethon before. Uh, so this is our. Uh, you look at me rather strangely. This this is this is my way of spruiking up the benefits of uh, raising some money for Ollie, and we're going to do that two ways. Uh, one is uh, we're going to highlight two of the items today in a little bit of detail as to what they are, uh, but also very very thankfully we have been given permission from Jane Gazzo who uh, did a very very uh, outstanding interview with uh, Ollie I think it was the end of last year early this year I think uh, with uh, through the the vault uh, program that she actually looks after through the ABC and things and Jane's a very very famous Australian journalist she's given us permission to uh, really take that interview in, in deep dive form we've converted into a little mp3 and we're chopping it up a little bit in a couple of sections but giving, I guess, our listeners a chance to digest um, a lot of the great stuff that Ollie had to say about his days with Michael and working with him and, and just his contribution and stuff that I think particularly Max Q fans and, and and Dogs and Space fans would lap up in a hurry. And, you know, Ollie's not in a great way, and this is probably Ollie probably at the best he's been for a long time in this interview, but he's definitely declined a little bit in the last six months. So we won't get the chance to sort of deep dive one-on-one like we would normally do with a guest, but dips our lid to, to Jane with the excellent interview she's done. Um, as I said, we chopped it up into about 40, 45 minutes. There is a, a full section you go on to, to YouTube and see, but uh, uh, we think, as I said, uh, part of airing this within our podcast uh, and our community today is to raise some money to help Ollie in his fight against this uh, you know neuron disease that he's going through at the, at the moment. Yes, so we want you to dig deep and we'll give you all the information on that at the end of the show. All right. Now, B, I'm going to, in the interest of radio here, I'm going to turn around and go to my shelf because I'm recording at home tonight on In Excess Day with you and I'm going to grab off my shelf at home the actual uh, album uh, with the signatures. And I think behind you, B, if I could see behind your right shoulder, uh, I think you've got a copy of Rooms for the Memory, okay, uh, where your right shoulder is just behind you there. Is that right? Yes, I have. Okay. Well, you go get your copy. I'll go get mine. And listeners, we'll just have a little tea break for 10 seconds. Picture you upon my knee, tea for two and two for tea, me for you and you for me alone. 
Right, B. Well, in front of me here, and uh, we will post this, no doubt, uh, on all of our socials and things like that, I have the album cover uh, for Rooms of the Memory. And what a spectacular album cover it is, B. Isn't it really well designed, the fonts, the photos, all the participants on this reissue, yeah? Yeah, it's great. Um, yeah. And we have seven signatures on this uh, that relate to uh, seven seven of the photos. Hold it so, up. Let me have a look. There we go. <laughs> it's uh, tastefully signed in mm. gold. Uh, pen, which uh, if you're doing anything on a black backdrop, gold pen looks great. Mm. Uh, so the people have signed this, obviously, are Adelita, who um, from Magic Dirt, who gives uh, guest vocals. Uh, Ollie himself, uh, who obviously is the icon we're raising money for today. Mick Harvey, who's uh, part of Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds uh, band and longtime collaborator with uh, uh, Nick Cave. Andrew Duffield, who previously was in the band called The Models, um, worked with James Freud and, and Sean Kelly, who uh, worked under uh, our friend from Nick Lorne from the uh, Swing album and through the models, uh, all knew each other. Uh, Matt Watson, uh, we've got Maddie Butler, daughter of Bruce. Uh, and we have Cav Templey, uh, lead singer of Eskimo Joe, fantastic Australian singer uh, who contributes guitar and some vocals on this as well, uh, particularly on some of the extra sort of tracks and things. Just to read out uh, the tracks on the album, uh, so those who don't know, uh, Rooms for the Memory 2023, the, the single edit version without a leader on the main vocals. Uh, that's probably the signature tune. Uh, they've then gone back and put in the Rooms for the Memory 1986, uh, which Michael sings and done a, a 2023 sort of remix on that. Uh, they've got a Rooms for the Memory at a leader full mix, uh, which goes just a little bit longer than the, the single edit. Cav, who we mentioned before, Temperley, uh, he sings Win Lose, which was one of Ollie's sort of uh, very famous songs, part of his, uh, his uh, history. Uh, you also get to hear Win Lose, the Ollie version, which is the Dogs in Space version. And then they have a Rooms for the Memory Adelita Kraus mix, B. That sounds like it's got some German connection there mm-hmm. uh, with some extra sort of uh, studio wizardry. So uh, the cover f- uh, photos from the Rooms of the Memory and the recording sessions were filmed by uh, Richard Lowenstein. Uh, well, sorry, this recording session is filmed by Richard Lowenstein, Andrew DeGroote, Matthew Ellery and Taylor Martin for Ghost Pictures. Uh, photos of Ollie Olsen and Michael from Max Q Film, shot in New, New York, which uh, uh, we have been blessed to see in the film clip. The uh, project coordinator was Jane Gazzo on this. So, again, well done to you, Jane. And the release uh, coordination uh, has been by Bruce Butler, a uh, great friend of the podcast and who has been Ollie's longtime manager. So uh, what a spectacular uh, addition. Uh, we have seven major signatures in gold uh, on a black backdrop. Uh, the whole album hasn't been touched or, or uh, interfered with. It's brand new. I'm itching to play it, but I have two spare copies of other ones that I could scratch be. Uh, and that's the probably the auction or the feature item today. Beautiful. Okay. So uh, mm. we want this, I mean, uh, I, you know, all 100% proceeds go to Ollie. Uh, we would like to sort of have minimum bid start at $1,000, I think, as a minimum. Really? Yep. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. If we if we've you know sold some singles with some of the band members on there, I think this cause is uh, even greater than that. And this is a one off. It's as I said, it's uh, it's uh, we'd love to get a starting bit at that price. We understand it may not start at that price, but we we think that. Hayden, I think I think we should lower it. There's genuine value there. I'm just, I'm just, I'm, 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 I'm just, doing the, hey, B, I'm doing the auctioneering here, okay? I work in sales, I know, okay? But let you me don't go. Start a, let's go, let's go. go in at 500 and it'll go up really quickly then. Okay, everybody, listeners, B's, uh, where's the pants? And we're coming in at 1200. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right, B, we think this is a, a four-figure uh, ultimate auction price once it comes out and it gets purchased, okay? But uh, we will accept starting bids at $500 to start with. Don't embarrass us by bidding anything less to begin with. Uh, but uh, we will take up the ante from there. But we do ex uh, expect this to hit the four figures uh, easily because it is such a rare, unique item with the signatures and the way it's been packaged. Um, in addition to that, for those who, who might be a little bit steady or too steep on the price levels to bid on that, uh, we will have our CD, which I'm holding up B, which actually has two major signatures on it at the moment. One is obviously from Ollie itself and the other one's from Mick Harvey. Now, this is freshly signed from the open record day that we're at. As I said, I met Mick at the front desk and I met Ollie at the back and really excited to get those signatures on there, which yeah. were the two you know, principal architects behind mm -hmm. the reissue. That's going to be a raffle item, B. Uh, okay. I think we do our raffle tickets with that particular one. Yep. Uh, what do we do our raffle tickets at for this? $20. $20. So as I said, again, if you can bid on either item, you can bid on both items or just one. Uh, there's raffles for the for the CD and then there's obviously the uh, the price on the auction on the album. But both of them, as I said, have a stab each way if you can afford to, have a pick of one if that suits you. Uh, we would just uh, reiterate that uh, all the money goes to, to Ollie and uh, really everything's helping the moment because as I said, he uh, needs 24-hour care and uh, having seen him up live and personal, um, you can see the support around him, but it doesn't come cheaply. So uh, we, again, thank the NXS community and the greater uh, Michael fans and Max Q fans listen to us, and we hope you can find your way to dig deep and help a great cause. Okay, I'll just do a little bit of housekeeping on that. The uh, Yes, yeah, so, uh, so the auction will only go for 10 days, so you need to get your bids in really quickly. Yep. Start it on uh, the Sunday that this gets launched. Yep. Um, and now the, um, the, the CD, the actual um, raffle prize, will let that go for a whole month to allow yep. people to get in. But you have to be really quick on the yep. auction because the auction yep. will only go for 10 days. Yeah. So the auction, 10 days, the, ra the raffle of the CD will be four weeks. And as I said, um, it'd be great to help get your help on it. Okay, B, what's it time for? Time for Topic of the Week. Hey, this is Tim Farris. Big shout out to Hayden and B. Also want to say hello to all the listeners and NXS fans. Thanks for listening. I love you, Hayden and B. You're doing a great job. Keep it up. All right, B, we're about to cut into our audio deep dive with Jane and Ollie. Again, thank you to Australian Music Vault, the Jane uh, Spearheads, uh, for letting us have uh, access to this content. Uh, again, for great NXS fans, Mike Hutchins fans, Max Q fans, Dogs and Space fans, with there's something in it for you. As we said earlier, dig deep, help out what you can do. But uh, uh, it's now time for Jane Gazzo with Ollie Olsen. Composer. Producer, innovator, and visionary. A man whose name has been synonymous with experimental and avant-garde electronic music in Australia since the mid-70s. It's an absolute pleasure to welcome to the Australian Music Vault, Ollie Olsen. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining us today. Your name is synonymous with so many facets and fields of electronic and cutting-edge music. I don't know where to start, to be honest, Ollie, but... I think we'll start at the very beginning. What's your earliest musical memory? My earliest musical memory is to do with the fact that I'm deaf in one ear. I always hear things in a strange way. So when I first experienced stereo, it was very weird. So my earliest musical memories were probably listening to Jimi Hendrix experience and things like that when I, you know, it was the 60s. So 
and I was very influenced by that. Uh, other than that, it was um, going to record shops and there was a record shop in the city city centre here called Gazunda's Flea Market and they sold largely um, European electronic music albums. And so I got right into that and I bought lots of them. This is like Tangerine Dream and Kraftwerk and all those kinds of things. And so I got very influenced by that early on. Then shortly after that, I decided to study electronic music, which I did in 75. And you studied electronic music with quite a significant figure in this country, a man by the name of Felix Werder, who uh, composed for the ABC, the Deutsche Opera, the Berlin Festival. Take me back to meeting Felix and the influence he had on you. He had a tremendous influence on me. He was a very nutty character and he was brilliant. Yeah, he was absolutely brilliant. You were at that point thinking about becoming a painter, is that right? I was, yeah. And Felix completely changed everything for you in well, a sense. Well, that's right. I mean, once I got into electronic music, I didn't, that's painting with sound. So I didn't see any point in being a painter anymore. I just wanted to do sound. So, yeah. And synth, synth, synth culture or technology with synthesizers at that point was, was an unknown quantity, wasn't it? It was. What appealed to you about the instrument? What did you love? Well, just the fact that you could create any sound you could imagine. Synthesis is one of those things where it's like I said, it's like painting. You mix, mix up the colours on a palette and then start slapping sounds around. I mean, that's, that's, that's the um, thing that gets you in with it. Uh, it's just fantastic. You mentioned that you were deaf in one ear. When did you discover that? Was that early childhood thing? Were you born with yeah, that? I was born with it. I had meningitis when I was a baby, so I didn't know I was deaf in one ear until quite late uh, when my parents always thought I was stupid or I didn't pay attention or whatever, but it was the deafness. Um, I did really bad at school because of it as well. I didn't find out until I was about 12, I think. Uh, we went and had tests done and they went, oh, you're deaf. And yet you're hearing all this amazing music in your, in your head. Right. Yeah. And, and I guess trying to make sense of that. That's right, yeah. What were your parents like? They were of Norwegian descent, weren't My they? My father was. My mother was more of a Irish-German heritage. Did your mother impart Irish, uh, Irish uh, sayings onto you as no. a child? No. Just humour. Just humour. Yeah. What was memorable about her humour? She was really wacky. Maybe that's where you get it from. <laughs> yeah, she'd do things like be in a restaurant and she would get a salt and pepper shaker and start interviewing people at the other tables. <laughs> She's very funny. And at 10 years old you head back to Norway after being that's born right. and raised in Melbourne. Yeah, yeah. What was that like for you? It's fantastic. Um, I love Norway. And uh, if I could go back now, I would. It's an amazing country. Why did you head back there at 10? What, was that a decision well, you made? It was just to made? see family and, and then I went back again when I was a teenager and I went back again as an adult. So I worked there as an adult in a fish factory. It's very Norwegian. Yeah, it's very Norwegian. <laughs> but it was great, you know, it was really good. Can you speak Norwegian? Yeah. Can you give me some? What's that mean? I speak Norwegian okay. <laughs> So 
So the mid-70s in Melbourne, punk rock emerges and you are in a band called The Reels, a short-lived band. Yep. However, your band, The Reels and The Boys Next Door, that are pretty much representing punk music That's right, the there city. wasn't much. Yeah. Take me back to that time. What do you remember? Oh, it was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, well, The Reels, the band I was in, was basically a rip-off of The Stooges and the MC5. So it was like Radio Birdman. We are all right, but, I mean, it was pretty lame stuff. <laughs> the boys next door were much better at the time. It didn't last very long, the punk scene. That early punk scene it was very short-lived. The first night the Reels did a gig, um, we were, had a party afterwards and that party I met Roland Howard and Roland and I got on like a house on fire. We decided then and there we were going to start a band. So that's how long the reels lasted. <laughs> I just two gigs with them and then I joined our band, formed a band with Roland. That, of course, was the Young Charlatans. That's right. What do you think it was about Roland that you gravitated towards? Um, it was a really interesting person, really warm and funny and we had a lot of creative, creative elements in common. Like we, we wanted similar things out of music. Uh, we didn't want to be just another copycat punk band. So they were the kind of things that gravitated us together. It's been said before you met Roland that you used to make noise, but he really taught you elements of songwriting That's and right. songcraft. That's right, yeah. How did he present that to you or how did you learn from him? Well, I mean, purely by the fact that he wrote songs. I mean, I never wrote songs before that. I just did made noises and stuff. So, you know, he taught me the whole chorus, bar, you know, verse, all that stuff. Like I'd never been familiar with that. Um, so I learned that off Roland. He brings to a rehearsal a song that is now widely considered an Australian cult classic. Yeah. Shiver. What do you remember about first performing that song in a, in a rehearsal? I thought it was like a country and western song. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I thought it was great. Well, he always maintains that it was written quite tongue-in-cheek with a, with a humour, you know, yeah. with a humorous attitude. But, it, of course, once... Nick Cave got hold of it. He made it this emotional, uh, quite serious song. Yeah, he made it really pompous. <laughs> he, he did his own song there and it was the best version I've heard of Shivers. Wow. It was fantastic. Um, it's on YouTube. You can find it. Quintessent kind of Roland version. It's a shame he never got to record it himself. And and yet there has been so many versions of yeah. that song kicking around, including yeah. um, Screaming Jess. <laughs> what did you think of that version? Ah, oh, dreadful. <laughs> Roland quite liked it because it made him lots of money. 
considering Roland was 16 at the time, it's a remarkable composition yeah. and considering how it's transcended each decade. Yeah, that's right, yeah, yeah. He certainly had a gift. Were you guys running around like absolute, you know, kings of the city at that point? Uh, a little bit, yeah. Um, young Sheldons were very hip at the time, so I don't think we ever thought we were kings of the city, but <laughs> um, there was that element to it because it was still very early in the punk scene. If you had a band, you were kind of cool. So we were kind of the coolest band of the lot at the time. So and we didn't last for very long. We only did 13 shows, I think. And then we split up. Yeah. Talk me through the little band scene because this is often talked about when mentioning uh, the boys next door and young charlatans. Well, that's a little to, bit later. That's a little bit later. Um, that came about, I mean, after young charlatans, I formed Whirly World. Mm-hmm. And then Whirly World were an electronic band. That's what I'd really wanted to do. And that was just straight after Young Charlatans. Whirly World ended up living next to the Primitive Calculators and we became really good friends. Their equipment and our equipment became the the reason for the little bands having an existence because what we'd do is our friends would want to do a band and we'd loan them equipment and they'd just do whatever. And that's how the little bands came about. They'd just do one or two songs on a night um, and then that was it. They'd never form, form again. <laughs> it was a one-off, you know. I imagine there was some quite avant-garde live Oh, there really were, music, yeah. Uh, there was some great music during the little bands era. Yeah. Really good. I think the initial version of the little bands was the best. When we all went overseas, I think it deteriorated after that. Right. But, um, yeah, it got a bit serious after we left. Whirly World was was where you really got to make those noises and and use those synthesizers and embrace that technology. Talk talk to me about who was in the band with you. Uh, The original version had... um, Dean Richards on guitar, Andrew Duffield on synth and keyboards. Who would later make his name in the model. That's right, and then later make his name <laughs> with me and, <laughs> and other things. And, well, he actually studied Felix, Felix Verder and I, and a guy called Simon Smith on electronic bass, another guy called Philip Jackson on synths and keyboards, uh, John Murphy on drums, who's an amazing drummer, and me on vocals and keyboards. The Whirly World stuff still stands up to this day. I think it was so out there and so unlike anything that was going on at the time. Mm. What are your memories of creating music in Whirly World? They're really good. I mean, particularly the second version of the band, which had a different lineup, which was just Arnie Hander on guitar and effects, Greg Sun on bass, myself on vocals and clarinet and effects, and John Murphy on drums again. Uh, it was really freeform, and I love that band. I mean, it was just so cool. And recently, um, all the Woolly World stuff got re-released in Chicago on a label called Hozak Records. So that was combined all the Woolly World recordings, which was great to see that it got a reissue. What do you think when you hear your music? Oh, again? it's great. It's yeah. great. Yeah. Yeah. Does it take you back to that time? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Where were you? Were you living in inner city Melbourne at that point? With yeah, well, I, was, I was living in Fitzroy. Was it, was, it a, was, it a, was it a scuzzy share house, Ollie? Yeah. 
Yeah, totally. <laughs> I'm sure there were some interesting characters that came there was, through the door. Yeah, a lot of weird stories there. Yeah. <laughs> we used to play poker for chips. <laughs> you know, for hot chips. <laughs> How'd you fare? Not very well. <laughs> you also had a great look at that point. Lots of suits and really sharp looking, which was not the punk ethos of the no, time. No. Can you just talk me through what you remember about your wardrobe? We went through different phases. I mean, I went through different phases. I wore suits for a while and then I got... That was more young Sheldon's era. Then when I got into um, not wearing suits, I was just wearing sloppy T-shirts and pants and stuff. That was more Whirly World. I just didn't care anymore about what I looked like. It was all about what it sounded like. So there was a great divide between St Kilda and Fitzroy. Like North, North Fitzroy and that was not into fashion at all, whereas St Kilda was. Like, so you had the boys next door and they were all very fashion conscious, whereas we weren't. Mm-hmm. We were the opposite of that. So, yeah, it was quite a different scene. Were you um, ever part of the Crystal Ballroom? A little bit because you'd play there inevitably. Mm-hmm. Um, but we tended to play in Fitzroy more. Boys Next Door have made no secret of the fact that heroin was rampant around that time. Yeah. Was that obvious to you at that point too? Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't as bad as it got in London because I moved to London not long after Whirly World, in fact right at the end of Whirly World, Uh, and heroin was really bad there. A lot of people I knew were really into it and kept becoming junkies and all that sort of stuff, so it got really bad. Yeah, when I came back from England... People were doing this smack a lot right. and people were dying. Mm. So it was really horrible, yeah. Did you lose a couple of friends? Yeah, yeah. quite a few. Must have been tough. It was tough, yeah. yeah. So you and John Murphy, the drummer from Whirly World, brothers in arms at this point, decide yeah. to uh, trek over to the UK. What was the initial impetus for going over there after, after, after Whirly World? Well, you didn't disband but you just decided to... We to- decided it was as far as we could take it here. do well in the UK and have a reason to you know, succeed. We really loved a lot of the music coming from there and thought we had a spot there. But it didn't work out that way. What happened? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing happened. I mean, that was the thing. I mean, <laughs> we, we had formed a new band called Hugo Clang. We did a few shows, but then we just got too poor and too weak and that kind of thing. And that's when I ended up moving back to Norway and going to work in Norway. In a fish factory. Yeah, in a fish factory. <laughs> well, my original idea for it, and I followed through, was to save enough money to make a record, which I did. So I went to Berlin and made a record after that. Was that under your own name? Or it was, was just it? under Hugo Klang. Yeah. Uh, I couldn't get a release for it, but eventually I got it released in Australia under Ogogo Records. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I want to talk about Iggy Pop just a brief moment okay. because he inspired you or told you to head overseas, didn't yeah. he? What was well, the story to- behind that? Yeah, he told a friend of mine who was staying with him at his hotel and he, he played him a Willy Will cassette and um, he goes, oh, they should move to America or to London or something. 
saying that we'd have no, nowhere to go here. And, I mean, he was right, but we had nowhere to go there either. <laughs> <laughs> have you always felt musically you had nowhere to go? In a way. But, um, I mean, that's part of the reason we started the label because it was always a way of putting it out. Mm. I mean, there's a lot of releases there and, yeah, that's really important. Whirly World was really inspired by what was going on with uh, acts like Throbbing Gristle and yeah. Suicide. As you mentioned, Andrew Duffield was in the band on what is described as electronics. What exactly was he doing in the band? <laughs> Not a lot. <laughs> he did play electronics. What um, are electronics or what were they? It was just synthesizers. Yeah. yeah, it was just uh, the cool way we'd call it. <laughs> synthesizer we called electronics. You know, just make it sound more nerdy. Yeah, Andrew played electronics music, you know, so that's what he did. Yeah. Uh, Missing Link put out your records, yeah. famously run by Keith Glass, who really seemed to put out records by bands that were doing stuff in Melbourne. I mean, he, that back catalogue of Missing Link at that time really is a reflection of of what was going oh, totally, on in the Melbourne yeah. music scene. Keith was great. Well, it was obviously a respectful yeah, um, well, relationship. Yeah, well, Keith was fantastic. I mean, I knew Keith for years from just going into his store and shopping. I paid him the Whirly World stuff. He loved it. He said, I'll put it out. We've always had a great relationship. I don't know if he had the great relationship with the other bands so much. I remember going up to him a few years ago and saying, hey, listen, Keith, I just wanted to say, if I was ever an asshole, I'm sorry. And he goes, I oh, know, you were great. Uh, because I know that he had problems with other bands, but he was fantastic. I mean, he documented that whole period mm. really well. Mm. And Bruce Milne kind of followed up from that. Yeah, and, and Bruce would obviously put your no records out a little yeah, bit later right. on. Yeah. In 1980, you released the Whirly World 12-inch single, uh, just called Whirly World, but features a track on it called Win Lose. Possibly one of your best-known Whirly World tracks yeah. because it would rear its head later on the Dogs in Space soundtrack. I still find it an incredible song to this day. What was going on through your mind when you wrote that song? Because, it's, I mean, it's where you really come to the forefront with your singing as well because Whirly World was a great vehicle for your vocals yeah. and lyrics. But I love that line, I can't feel my feet standing on the ground, I can't feel the passion in anyone. It's pretty bleak, isn't it? <laughs> that was Whirly World anyway, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah, look, I don't know where that came from. It's just me yeah. writing and that came out and I sang it. And that's the way. I mean, I never think about things too much when I write. I just It just comes out. And you have to go, you go back and look at it with reflection and, oh, yeah, it's kind of all right. Everybody else acting so misled. mentioned that you were influenced by Scott Walker, Pete Hamill and David Bowie vocally. Yeah. What influence did they have on you? I was mainly Scott Walker and Peter Hamill. 
Oh, he's so much so, but I mean, he was more influenced by Scott Walker than I was. <laughs> so <laughs> I think, uh, but uh, Scott Walker had a huge influence on me, songwriting and stuff like that, and just his willingness to be out of out of the norm. Peter Hamill, because he was just off his head, <laughs> um, and totally amazing. Uh, Bowie, because he was Bowie. Yeah, McGuire's influenced by all of those guys. They're all quite similar in a way. 1985, Orchestra of Skin and Bone. Okay, yeah. This is this is really interesting because you form a friendship with Marie Hoy, who would play significant roles in a lot of your musical projects. Yeah. What was it about Marie Hoy that, that attracted you to her and working with her? Well, we were going out together. <laughs> that had something to do with that it. That helps. <laughs> um, but I loved her voice and her attitude. She had this great attitude. She was always willing to learn how to do things differently. So the orchestra skin and bone was all about relearning how to do things because we basically built instruments and created new ways of playing them and stuff like that. So it was all pretty much all acoustic, the instruments. So and I had a whole bunch of people playing like 10 people. It's like a collective it? of some it sort. It was a collective, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We were all playing like zithers but with hammers and you know, all kinds of stuff, so it was very different. It was described as incomprehensible on stage. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> was it just a matter of plopping instruments up there and just seeing what happened? Pretty much, although we had, we had structure and we had rehearsed religiously. Yeah, right. But because nothing was in tune... Would always come out different, which was part of my whole idea <laughs> for the band. One of the songs was Sometimes. That's right. Which would again be reworked with your Max Q project a little bit later on. That was one of the ones that made sense. Well, there was a lot of songs on the Skin, Skin and Bone album that ended up being reworked by Max Q, like Otfin Rot. Mm. That got reworked by Max Q. Because I had such a short time to make the Max Q record, I had to pull from my past um, to put things together to make it work. I thought, oh, yeah, that's, that's good, that line, oh, you know, whatever. And so I just kept dipping into my past back catalogue and that's pretty much how I did it. In the world below, junk and surprise. Let's head to 1986. Richard Lowenstein secures your services to be the music producer on a film he's working on, very low budget, set in Melbourne, uh, called Dogs in Space. How did you and Richard Lowenstein meet? Rang me up and approached me out of out of the blue, I think. And then we hooked up and had a chat and like kind of thinking he was obviously a real fan of Worldly World and stuff. And we got on really well. I agreed to do the job. I mean... I was working on the Northcote City Council at the time. Right, what were you doing? Was I was being builder's labour, <laughs> builder's labourer, so I was doing really hard work. And, of course, I took up the job of being musical director on a film. It was much more appealing. Mm. So, yeah, I quit my job and went and did that. Describe um, meeting Michael Hutchins for the first time because Richard had him pegged as the, the star of the film. Yeah, do you remember first meeting him at that point? I do remember meeting Michael and it was like he had a really cool flat in uh, South, Yara, South Melbourne, a really, you know, really wealthy, 
person's flat. Now, like he didn't rent it, but someone had rented it for him. But I thought, this guy's a rock star. <laughs> so my first impression of him was he just had exuded rock star. But he was cool. You know? yeah. I liked him. Uh, it was a bit intimidating yeah, right. when I first met him. Then, of course, it turned around the other way <laughs> and I intimidated him. <laughs> so, anyway. for the soundtrack. Yeah. I've got to talk to you about Rooms for the Memory. It's an incredible song from start to finish, Ollie. Thank you. It went number 11 in this country nationally. I think it got number five in Melbourne. Yeah. And it showcased Michael in a way that we hadn't heard before within excess because it wasn't necessarily a commercial-sounding song and yet it's so hauntingly beautiful and so memorable. Do you remember the writing process of that particular song? Yeah, I worked pretty hard on that song. The rooms for the memory thing came out of going to hospital. A friend of mine was in hospital. I had to sit in the waiting room and there were memorials on the walls. For in memoriam, the clock on yeah, the, the wall. Yeah, the plaques on the wall, the clocks right. on the wall. that's where it came so, from. So sort of rooms that had been donated by people who died and that kind of thing. So, yeah, that's where that whole thing came from. And then I created this riff. Uh, and then it all kind of came together. But I worked pretty hard on that song until I was happy with it. And it was a lot older than the Dogs in Space soundtrack. Uh, I wrote it in the early Worldwood days. And I said to Richard, I've got this song that I think you'll really like, and he loved it. And that's how it came about. And then we went about recording it. And I'm, I'm a real fascist when it comes to people doing my vocals because they have to sing it like me. So I got Michael to sing it exactly like me um, because that's how it works. I mean, the phrasing and all that kind of thing has to be like me. Um, otherwise, I won't have part of it. I got him to do his own thing to a degree. Um, there were things that were very Michael Hutchins towards the end, but the whole structure of the song, and that was very much my thing. Yeah. You recorded that at Richmond Recorders, is that Richmond correct? Recorders, and we did a little bit in another studio, but I can't remember which one it was. Was Tony Cohen involved at that point? Uh, I can't remember. I don't think he was. Uh, Nick Lornage recorded that one. Uh-huh. Um, so who was a great producer, so mm. still is. Yeah. What did you think when you had the final mix of Rooms for the Memory? I was very happy, yeah. Yeah, I was very happy when I heard it on radio. kind of blew me away. Ian McFarlane, the music journalist, said uh, once Rooms from the Memories was released, it only confirmed your commercial potential. <laughs> oh, that's nice. But was that you weren't going for commercial potential, no. were you? And you've never been about that, have no. you? No. I mean, this is sometimes I write poppy tunes. Mm. It's never been a I've tried to write pop music or anything like that. Um, there have been points where I've kind of had a crack, crack at that, but it's never real. Like if it comes out 
it's just if it, the pop element comes out when I'm writing something, that's fine mm. and I'm not going to be a snob about it. Mm. It's like that great quote of Louis Armstrong, all music's folk music because <laughs> I never heard no horses sing. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, which I think is true. What did you buy with your first paycheck from the Dogs in Space record? Oh, God, I don't remember. Probably a sampler. Yeah, I think it was a sampler and a drum machine. Finally. Yeah, well, that's when I made the jump to forming No. Uh-huh. So after that, because yeah, Skin had... and Bone had had a thing, then I went for No with samples and drum machines. So. That, again, featured a number of people that you'd work with in the Skin and Bone Collective. Yeah. And it was noisier and crazier, but it still had structure. There was still oh, great I mean, elements. I thought, it, I thought it was pop music, really. I mean, at the time I was working in a record shop called Pipe Imported Records, which I used to go and buy my German music from when I was a teenager. Um, but they were a very funny record store. I mean, they sold German cosmic music and death metal. <laughs> so I was getting this kind of weird crossover between the two that day when I was when I was working there at the time. And then I'd go home and put music together that was like that. Yeah, right. So there's a cosmic cosmic music and death metal. I stuck the two together <laughs> and no came out of it. Um, and influenced a number of Melbourne musicians at yeah. the time. I mean, I think it's fair to say that Snog, David, David oh, yeah, Russell, for sure. was definitely a disciple of, of No. Yeah. That whole, I guess, uh, electronic scene that, that kind of stemmed out of that at that point. Let's talk about some of the titles for No, which, again, were quite quite humorous. Glory for Ship for Brains yeah, yeah, yeah. is one of them. Um, you also did a reworking, and it's interesting because you mentioned him before, Jimi Hendrix, Are You Experienced as well? I love that cover. <laughs> um, yeah, it was really good to do the Hendrix song. Once we were scum, now we are God? Yeah, yeah. I mean, these titles speak for themselves. Glory for the Shift for Brains was really about we demand our glory because we've been treated like shit all our lives. Um, and once we scum, now we are God is the same thing. How was taking no out onto the stages? Um, it's fantastic. We did a lot of great shows. Like by the end of our career, we were doing huge shows. We had U2 turning up to our shows and stuff like that. No influence in U2, actually, because it wasn't long after that they did Up and Baby and they were using samples and things like that and I think that they were a little bit influenced by No. How did U2 end up at a No show in Melbourne? I don't know. <laughs> Richard Lowenstein maybe brought them. Okay. Because around... And, and I might be getting my timelines mixed up, but at some point you work on the Echo Homo record. That's right, with you too. With you too, which Bono sings on the B-side of and one of their the releases. Plays guitar. Well, that was weird because Troy... In, uh, Troy, Troy Davis, Davis was Echo Homo. Was Echo Homo, but I also was, and so was Gus Till. Troy had this amazing knack of impressing people and he impressed you too. He made a clip with them and stuff. Um, but he convinced them to come in and make a record, even though Troy wasn't really a singer or whatever. Um, so he just go, come on, we'll put some beats together and I've got my friends, you too, and <laughs> they'll come in. And sure enough, they came in and they were drunk as anything. I got the edge to just play guitar and I just recorded it and then sampled bits that were good and got the bot to do the same thing, got him to sing over it, and then sampled him and played him in. That's how he did it. So it was all just constructed like that. 
it's bizarre but yeah. brilliant. Word. <laughs> was that your only meeting with, with you two? No, I'd met them after that because we got on really well and they'd invited me to their concerts a couple of times so I went to see them play, which was quite interesting because I thought, geez, they got a lot of hit songs because, you know, I, I knew nearly every song <laughs> and I don't, never owned a U2 album, so... It was interesting that Michael Hutchins also appears in the uh, Motorcycle Baby yeah, video yeah, right. of Echo Homos. That's right. Well, he was a great friend of Troy's. Let's go back to Michael Hutchins. He, again, he has this top 20 hit in Australia with Rooms for the Memory, your yeah. song. He contacts you a few years later to work on what he initially thought would be a solo project. That's right, yeah. That morphed into Max Q. Yeah. Do you think he was inspired by the Rooms for the Memory song so much that he felt that there was obviously a great working relationship there with yeah, you? Yeah, I do, I do. Basically, he called me up when I was working in a record store again. Pipe Imports. <laughs> no, it was another no, one. This one was Collector's Corner. Collector's Corner. They're still around. Oh, I, I remember them, yeah. And I said, oh, well, I've got a few tunes that I've written, so maybe you'd be interested. He got me to come up to the hotel and play him. Of course, I had to go to the hotel. He wouldn't come and see me. <laughs> <laughs> so I put the tunes on for him. He really liked them. And we just kind of started working from there. We did like two or three tunes at Rhinoceros Records in Sydney and I got my friends to come in and play on them and then that turned into a whole album because he was like, oh, this is so great. I've got to keep going with this as a group project, not a solo album, So, which was great. So mm. it turned into Max Q. How was Michael's management in excess management how were they in relation to him working with you on a solo project? Yeah, well, they weren't good. No, they were really... Chris Murphy, he didn't want Michael to do it. So he, he tried everything he could to make it seem like it wasn't Michael uh, doing the project. So he couldn't have... He didn't want Michael on the cover. He didn't, you know, all those kinds of things. Michael's face had to be obscure in the videos. Um, he had to, Michael had to cut his hair. I think it was Michael's choice, actually, to cut his hair. It was really terrible. Do you think that was a control issue because he was worried that Michael would have success with this particular yeah. project and maybe that would, that would uh, I guess, put in excess in a, in a precarious position? I think so, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think it really mattered that he had two bands. You know, I don't think it would have mattered at all. Would have, would have helped each other. It worked out that way that it did. I mean, you know, so what if Max Q made a, a gold record? I mean, just means Michael got more money. Mm, mm. <laughs> uh, it's no big deal, really. With Max Q, you recorded the song Way of the World, yeah. which subject-wise is still as pertinent today as it was when you recorded it back in 89. Yeah. What was going through your head at the time when you were writing those lyrics? Pretty much all that's in the lyric. Um, again, it's a song that I really worked hard on. I'd have to say 
of all the songs I've ever written, it's probably the one I spent the longest working on. I remember when I was writing and I was sitting on a balcony and just working really hard on the words, going, oh, it doesn't work. I'll try this, you know. It was the first time I've ever really done that because I had this, I'd already had written the music and I was convinced that I'd had a good song there. So um, I just worked very, very hard on it. And, look, a lot of those things are like, uh, whether it's God or the Bomb, it's just the same. It's only if you're in another name. I mean, they're all things that I firmly believe. I'm essentially an anarchist. <laughs> so kind of, they're very anarchistic lyrics. Mm. And it was great seeing a song like that in the top ten or whatever mm. because it actually got me into the um, into ASIO. Is that right? Yeah. What, they investigated you? Yeah, Michael told me because <laughs> Michael Hutchins had so many um, connections and he told me that I'd, I had, um, they were keeping an eye on me because I had these lyrics. Whether it's God or the bomb, yeah. it's just the same. And all, the, all the stuff about yeah, money and banks. Well, and... yeah, because I think the opening lyric is you are born with a gun to your, no, yeah. with a gun to your head. Yeah, you are born into this world, world with looking a... down the barrel of a gun. Oh, my goodness. Azio. Yeah. That's nuts. It is nuts. <laughs> I don't know if I believe it or not, but Michael told me and had an awful lot of connections. Yeah. So, um, it still gets played on commercial radio to this day. Yeah. Do you still do you still see royalties from A that? A tiny bit. Yeah. Yeah. And, of course, he did Sometimes, um, yeah. which opens up the Max Q album. Yeah. How was he singing your lyrics? Because he came to you initially with, with songs that he'd written and yet I reckon about 90% of that Max Q album is Ollie Olsen. Oh, it is, yeah. 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 So how did that work? Did did things change in the recording process? Well, there were, there were things where we'd collaborated. I, I was kind of teaching him at the same time about lyric writing and then he taught me how... He did it, did it, so he had, it was really collaborative because mm. it was very short, um, short recording sessions. Like we didn't, have, it wasn't like in excess of we didn't have months to make an album. We had a month to make an album, so or maybe a bit longer. Than was a it month. done in pieces then? Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, we did all the recording up in Sydney, and then we went to New York to finish it. Uh, now in New York was a famous name who worked on that record producing it. Was it Todd Terry? Todd Terry, yeah. Who's really big in dance music circles back in the 80s. Yeah, that's right. Certainly he was amazing. working with Madonna and, and other um, famous artists. Yeah. Um, how did that come about? Well, I wanted him. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Michael was like, who do you want? And he wanted to get Bob to the mountain. Oh, right. And I'm like, nah. <laughs> it's more rock, to get someone it? more contemporary, you know. <laughs> and uh, I had a choice of Marshall Jefferson or Todd Terry. They were both very hip at the time. We got Todd, which was great. Now, had you been to America before you went to New no, York? with? No. So how was that for you? It blew my mind. It totally blew my mind. In what way? Ah, oh, everything about it. I mean, New York was really great at that time. Um, still lots of graffiti and lots of gangs roaming the streets and 
all that kind of gritty stuff in New York. It was a bit scary, but, um, yeah. It was scary, what, compared to Melbourne? Uh, yeah, oh, yeah, compared to Melbourne it was. <laughs> yeah. People carrying guns and shit. You saw that? No, but you oh. could tell. Oh, okay. So, I mean, it's, it's just it's America, you know? Yeah, right. Wow. So, and you go on a promotional trail of sorts in America while you're there as well. I did that was later, my, yeah. Yeah. Talk uh, me through that. What do you remember about that time? Because, I mean, I, obviously within Excess's management, they didn't want you promoting the record well, too heavily. Well, the thing is Michael didn't do it. I did it. You did most of the promotion? I did nearly all of it. How did you find that? Well, I was just on the phone all day and it was really ridiculous. It was very boring because I didn't, the people that were interviewing me didn't know anything about who I was. So I had to fill in all this background information and basically repeat myself over and over and over again um, and never gaining any new ground. So it was really boring. Um, Michael did a couple of interviews with me, like the ones on MTV, and mm-hmm. that's about it. Yeah. Uh, he, he didn't do anything. He just hung out in the hotel and put his feet up. Goodness so, me. Yeah. <laughs> Michael once said about about working with you, Ollie isn't supposed to hang around with pop stars and I'm not supposed to hang around with punk types. The band is made up of rowdy friends from Melbourne. These guys are good musicians who've never had a chance. Most of them have never been into a studio. They are real underground people who don't have any money. Some of them have never been on a plane before. They were worried that working with me they'd lose their underground status. I don't think they're worried about that at all. (laughs) I don't think they're worried about losing their underground status. I mean, everybody was sick of being underground. So it was actually really good to get fed and uh, get some money and catch a plane and all that kind of thing. I mean, they all had a great time. And we had someone come in, a really great cook, come in and cater for us every night um, when we were recording. I mean, how fantastic is that? This is in Sydney at Rhinoceros. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Michael Hutchins. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we were, and the food was great. I mean, we weren't complaining about that at all. Michael and yourself couldn't be more unalike. What do you think you represented to him? I don't know. I think my anarchic streak probably he really liked. Sense of humour um, and my cheekiness I think he really liked. <laughs> You'd end up holidaying with Michael in Tahiti. That's right. You quoted that as one of the best holidays of your it life. Was. It was. It was. Oh, it's Tahiti. I mean, <laughs> you know, you'd get up in the morning and jump off the balcony into a lagoon. I mean, how good is that? Was Michael paying for this or was it? He was. Yeah, right. Well, actually, I paid for some of it because he was staying in Bora Bora, which is off Tahiti, um, and people, locals call it boring, boring. <laughs> Um, but I found it anything but boring. It was gorgeous. It was so beautiful. And just snorkeling around and doing all those great things. It was just fantastic. Were you close at that point? With Michael? Yeah. 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 We just made an album, so we made the album but we hadn't mixed it. So we were kind of working on the album a little bit while we were having a holiday. So we had debt tapes and we were listening to them and deciding what we were going to do and that kind of thing. And, of course, around about this point, he's dating Kylie, is that correct? No, he was dating um, this girl called Johnny. Ah, this is yeah. pre-Kylie Minogue. Yeah. But then on the on the promotional tour, which is later, mm-hmm. um, 
he came into my hotel room and he goes, I don't know what to do. And I'm like, what's going on? He goes, oh, I'm obsessed with Kylie Minogue. And I say, well, why don't you just call her and you're Michael Hutchins. You know, you can do these things. And so he did. Yeah, that, that was that. Did you see him much after that? Yeah, no, I saw him yeah. and Kylie together. And yeah? What, what, what were they like together? They were great, yeah. yeah. Was he still obsessed with her? At the time, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, they had an argument. I was at a party one night and they had an argument. Kylie wanted to go home, so I walked her home. It was really funny because I'm walking her home and down Oxford Street in Darlinghurst, this guy in a full of, um, bow tie and dinner suit comes out with like a Hasselblad camera, starts popping off shots of us. And it ended up in TV Weekend that like, <laughs> who's the mystery man? You got papped. Yeah, yeah, I got paparazzi, <laughs> exactly. So it's just like totally weird. I wish I had that photo now. You can't feel on on the Max Q record, there's a brilliant song called Ghost of the Year. Yeah. It's kind of prophetic in a way because yeah, Michael essentially did become, in 1997, Ghost of the Year. Yeah. Did you ever had discussions about death or, you know, what was going through your mind when you wrote that song? That song went through a few, quite a few permutations and I wrote it back in the Woolly World days. In fact, some of the lyrics I'd written in Young Charlatans. Um, it's part of a song called Drowned, which I'd written in Young Charlatans. So it goes way back. And then I came up with this new chord progression. I thought, oh, I could call it Ghost of the Year. I just kind of came to my head. And then I put the lyrics of Drowned to it. It worked really well. So that's how it happened. Um, so it's this serendipity that turned out to be Michael's death and um, that song. It's funny because I went to a barbecue. The Farris brothers invited me to a barbecue, which was interesting because they never invited me to anything. But it was just after the funeral and stuff for Michael. That song was playing in the taxi on the way there. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, so it's a bit weird. That's bizarre. Yeah. Chorus is Now They Want to Crown Me for the Ghost of the Year. Where were you when you found out Michael had died? Um, it was really horrible. I mean, I found out I was just at home getting having breakfast. The phone rang and I picked it up and it's this guy going, I want your reactions to Michael Hutchins' death. It's a guy from the newspaper. <laughs> it's just like, how the hell, firstly, how the hell did you know my number? Secondly, how did he, you know, what the hell's going on? So that's how I found out. I said, I don't know. And I hung up on him. And I started getting phone calls all day and yeah, it was awful. What do you remember about the funeral? It was a star-studded affair. Nick Cave played Into My Arms. It was telecast. Harry and Miller ended up taking the publicity rights. Obviously supermodels flew in. Kylie was there. 
What do you remember about the day? I remember it being pretty weird. And the whole thing was pretty weird. I mean, having televised and stuff was... I mean, Michael wasn't the king of England, let's face it. I mean, mm. he's just a pop star in Australia. Mm. Uh, they should have just had a much more private affair, I reckon. Mm. And the after party was ridiculous. In what way? Uh, if, you, if, you, if you had a silver ticket, you'd go into the real after party. Which oh, my with, goodness. Which is with uh, Kylie and, and all that. But if you're in the B grade, grade you'd get all the lesser people, which included Michael's dad, and which I thought was bizarre because I spent most of the time talking to Michael's dad, who I really liked. Had you been in much contact with Michael up, up to his death? I mean, he was with Paulie Yates at that point. Well, a little bit. Um just prior to his death, he'd called me and said, I want to get together and talk about a new album. Wow. That was like when he was in Australia. Like he wanted to talk to me about doing a new album. So, yeah, that would have been very, very interesting to see what that would have, would have happened with a new album. How would you like to be remembered? As a kind person, I'm not too fussed about how people think of my music. No. But I'd like, I'd like it to have certain things. The records I put out under my own name, like I've done a couple, I've only done a couple, Emptiness, Simulated and I Am The Server, they're all records I really care about. They're the ones I'd like to be remembered for. All the other stuff, it's like I'm not too fussed about it, you know. You say you're not fussed about your back catalogue and your work, but is there one moment that you're most proud of in your career when you look back at your back catalogue? Yeah, I'd have to say simulated. The Ollie Olsen yeah. record. Because? Um, I spent so long working on it. I spent like five years working on it, I think. And it's like, it's like a classical piece of music. It's very, very intricate. Um, everything relates to it, everything else and yeah, there's a lot of work that's gone into that, that record. But look, I like a lot of the albums. I mean, I'm, to be honest, I'm <laughs> very happy with a lot of them. Yeah. Ollie Olsen, it's been wonderful getting to know you today here at the it's Australian been great Music talking Ball. to you as well. Thanks so much for your time. My pleasure. Thank you. Hi, you're listening to the number one in Nexus podcast. And now it's time for fan engagement. Well, hello and welcome back to fan engagement. It's been a few weeks, Danielle. Welcome back. It's good to see your little face. Well, hello, beautiful dear. It's good to be back and see your beautiful face. Ah, back at you, back at you. Okay, so we've got a lot to talk about because it's been in excess day and wow, we've had lots of fan engagement. In fact, I will say right off the bat, we've had over, I think it was 4.4 million reach this this month. So that's just incredible. So thank you to everybody for um, reposting our posts and just engaging with us. It's just been incredible. And thank you for finding the podcast. What did you find? You found quite a few things didn't you oh my goodness we have just been inundated with lots of people sharing all their stories 
Happy birthdays to John, to Tim. Happy NXS day. And then we had this little uh, thing where we wanted you to wear your NXS t-shirt on NXS day. And oh my God. Yes. Let me tell you, there was no disappointing. Everybody showed out and showed up with their NXS t-shirts. Thank you, everybody. Yeah, that was a great collage put together by Genevieve, I believe. She put that together. So I'm sorry if anyone got disappointed that didn't get their T-shirts to us in time. But what you can do is go back to our Facebook page and you can actually add yours in the comment because we would love to see them. I know there's more of you out there. I know Hayden didn't get around to doing it. So Hayden, maybe you can do that too. So John and Kirk were both on separately onto the morning shows in Australia. So if you didn't get to see them we'll try and get that footage onto our Facebook in the next couple of days if it's not there already but yes lots of posts been going out so yeah so and um, that t-shirt post that you put out though that was incredible that was you and your work colleagues I believe is that right you got all your workmates to wear t-shirts for in excess that's incredible right that's what everyone's going to do next year <laughs> I did. And uh, as I put on my own Facebook page, if you meet me for more than five minutes, you're going to find out <laughs> that I'm obsessed with this little band called In Excess. Uh, being little. Little band, <laughs> yes. And uh, so my work colleagues have been informed that I, you know, sometimes help out with this podcast called In Excess Access All Areas. And I help with the newsletter and I help with fan engagement. So I said, you know what would make my NXS day so special is that all you would wear an NXS t-shirt for my collection and if you don't you're all a bunch of assholes <laughs> so that's the word you've got to use everybody they're all a bunch of assholes if they don't wear an NXS t-shirt next year we've got to get all these NXS t-shirts onto the Facebook page and onto social medias next year we big it up we'll make it not 4 million we'll make it 10 million rich there you go <laughs> so I will I will give a quick shout out to my co-workers of Andy, Amy, Anna, and Jody, thank you so much for indulging me on NXS Day and wearing some of my old shirts. So thank you, thank oh, you. Oh, that's thanks. lovely. Yeah, thank you very much. And who else was in the picture? Okay, so let's start with Vernon. Well, sorry, in the collage that oh, uh, yes, Genevieve Oh, yes, yes, excuse yes. me. So we've got Vernon, Rachel, David, Karen, Carmen, Pedro, Lachlan, Lori, be herself and Paul Buckley. So we are excited about those pictures. Thank you guys. It turned out awesome. It really did. Like let let let's just individualize some of these. So Paul Buckley made his own t-shirt with his um <laughs> with his merch that he got from the podcast for becoming a patron. Love that. He slapped on the uh the bumper sticker there. That was very <laughs> funny. And Vernon, I think we can see a tongue ring there. Okay. Very uh -huh. nice. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> we'll say no more. Okay. <laughs> But yeah, that was lovely. So fantastic, everybody. Really, really well done. I also did a uh, post for top contributors and tagged everyone in. That was great. And one of them, <laughs> what a great man he is. Thank you. Love this post from Paul Sonic. I friggin' love the NXS Access All Areas podcast. <laughs> love the level of detail, production stories and guests. Punchy. Love it. Thank you. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, and I I forgot someone, uh, actually two people. I apologize to Dominique and Michael because you guys also showed off your NXS t-shirts in our NXS t-shirt day uh, thread on Facebook. So thank you guys. Those were awesome t-shirts. We appreciate it. You guys look good. I've got another one here, but I'm not sure. I did I did pass this over to Hayden. I don't know. So, Paul, I'm very sorry if no one's got in touch with you yet. So he says, I dig your podcast. I'd love to chat to you more about Michael's extensive support of the East Timor independent campaign. Did you see this one come through? I did. Wasn't quite yeah. sure where it was going. So I'm not sure either because it hasn't got a picture either. So you never know because I'm getting a bit fed up with all these bots that I have to keep um, mm-hmm. blocking, I must admit. Anyway, it says, when I met Bono from U2, he said the NXS frontman constantly talked about helping the resistance there. Hmm. I have a close family connection to the country as my brother was one of the five journalists murdered by invading Indonesian troops in 1975. Michael once paid for my entire family to fly to Sydney to launch the East Timor Benefit album. Happy to share these stories with you. Uh, Is this a true thing? I I never know. But it's interesting, hey? Yeah. Well, we know Michael's generosity was was abound, Mm. so... So I think we should investigate this one. And then the birthdays. Wow. I think you found something quite personal, didn't you, on Timmy's um, birthday post um, that struck a chord with you. Do you have that to read out? I do, and I did. Uh, So on Tim's birthday, August 16th, we put a post out, everybody saying happy birthday, and we got a nice comment on our page from someone named Lou. His account was actually taken from the same concert that I spoke to in the previous episode of the Elegantly Wasted tour um, at Atlanta Shastain Park, September 6, 1997. And this is what Lou had to say. Long story short, Mr. Ferris prevented a security guard from sending my girlfriend and me back to our seats, quote unquote, the grass. When we made our way to the front of the stage, what transpired thereafter was I hoisted my girlfriend onto the stage and Michael Hutchins kissed her. Oh, what a man. Such a memorable night. Little did we know we would never see Michael again and that would be my last time seeing the NXS I grew up with and will always cherish. And Lou has gone on to put on his own Facebook page the whole entire account with the security guards and and such and such. But Lear, thank you so much for this little comment and bringing in another part of the Elegantly Wasted Tour that maybe some of us have never heard before. So if anybody is on our page, kind of look that up and then go to Lou's page. So there you go. Thank you, Lou. Beautiful, beautiful. And the fact that you were there as well. We were never to see Michael after that one as well. Um, I did, add, or Hayden did ask for stories to be sent in via the um, via email. We didn't get that many, but there has been lots on the Facebook page and um, a few on Instagram and 
X, which is Twitter now. So do encourage people to go and read them. But our gorgeous patron, Laurel Snyder, had sent in a story. Now, I'd like to read her story to you. Um, It's a little bit longer than um, most of them, but that's okay. We don't mind. Okay. The core of my story is how InXS saved me and helped me get my life back. A little history about me. I am a physically disabled woman since 2012. I have been dealing with my current health issues since November of 2020. In the summer of 2020, I was dealt some heavy personal losses. My baby brother passed away a day before my birthday. Literally a few days later, a friend had some issues and she really needed me. Unfortunately, I couldn't be there for her, so the friendship died. Then another friend told me she was going into hospice. She sadly passed away in December. This is very sad. I'm so sorry, Laurel. My good friend helped me to create YouTube playlists. All I did was listen to music. Soon the music was becoming boring. I remember Dean XS from the late 80s to early 90s. I recalled Michael's tragic passing along with the rock star in XS show in 2005. I started rediscovering their music and enjoyed the different rock genres the band represented. My playlist was not boring anymore. Reconnecting with In Excess also opened a whole new world for me. I joined the In Excess Access All Areas podcast as a patron. I'm also an administrator of two In Excess fan-based Facebook pages. Love, Love Baby Live and Michael Hutchins, The Voice of In Excess. So I go and check those out guys the biggest benefit of all is that i made a lot of friends through these groups each day brings a new adventure as i hear new stories with my friends connecting to in excess thank you in excess for your endowment thank you to in excess's music you saved me so many ways i think that actually echoes a lot of people not probably as sad as yours, but it has reconnected a lot of old fans together and and new friends as well. So yeah, this is a great space for everybody. I love it. It's called my in excess bubble myself. You know, my, my life's not that much rosier, (laughs) but yeah, it's, it's wonderful to see these. Did you have any more stories, Danielle? Uh, Not so much stories, but I will say Laurel is, when it comes to finding very rare photographs of the band in Michael Hutchins, she is your go-to person uh, as far as research goes. So I'm very thankful to Laurel in this community of finding pictures that I may have never seen myself. Um, and she's just a valuable, valuable player in, in all of our world. So thank you, Laurel, so much. We, we appreciate you. I have a list of people, B, that I have been interacting with for the last couple of weeks. If you don't mind, I would love to read off their names yes. for everybody yes. to hear. So a big shout out and thank you to everyone that I'm about to read out is Vincent, Brian, Andrew, Mark, Karen, Terry, Kathy, One World 2001, Tracy, Alyssa, Elwood Blues, Graham, Diane, Aaron, Joseph, Paul, Julie, and Laura. Thank you so much for you guys 
coming onto the website, interacting, emailing. We appreciate every single one of you. Uh, just thank you, thank you. Yeah, yeah. That actually brings me back to um, Vernon that we mentioned earlier with the the tongue <laughs> ring. He he, mes- <laughs> he messaged the podcast and said that he only um, gets in touch with us via X, which was the late Twitter. And he said there's no other way that he can re- interact with everybody. Well, you can actually. If you don't have to be um, on social media, it don't have to be on Facebook, but you can actually um, just join up as um, Messenger, the Facebook Messenger. So go on to there and then and you're a patron so we can add you to the, the thread and then you can have a lovely chat with everybody. I got another email from a, a guy called Grant. Grant, hey, Hayden B, love the show. Um, he loved the Greg um, Pirano Incredible. Have you ever tried to approach Nick Cave? Oh my God, yeah. the yes. Lord of Darkness. Uh-huh. I would feel so intimidated, but like, yeah, bring it on. And um, for an interview, he said, he seems extremely private when it comes to Hutch and he's not. this is one friendship that fascinates me. Not much details over the years. Oh. Mm-hmm. I might get in touch with Bruce Butler and see if Bruce can get us an interview. Oh, yeah. Even a, like a sat, you like if he can just send something in, that would yeah. be wonderful, wouldn't it? We would love to hear from him. So yes, um, Nick Cave. I know that Sula also has been gunning to get Nick Cave on there as well. So that would be awesome. We had a donation, didn't we, this week from someone called Joseph. So thank you very much, Joseph. That was fantastic, and we've had um, a few more patrons that I would like to um, like Michael to introduce um, later on after this but it's a goodbye from me for now and it's a goodbye from me I'd like to say hello to everybody outside on the highway let's all say hello to everybody outside it's about 10,000 people at least hello well, hello to our honorary members, Tim Ferris, Nick Egan, Mark Opitz, Richard Simpkin, Cameron Adams, Mary Wood, Darren Jones, Paul Jolie, and our patrons, Carmen, Laurie, Carrie-Anne, Danielle, Sarah Markham, Sarah Camia, Dr. Jim, Katie, Lisa Mack, Anne-Marie, Susan P, Susan B, Foxy, Pedro, Mandy, Lisa, Yvonne, Amanda H, Amanda V, David, Tracy, Paul, Ella, Ryder, Tony, Erica, Abigail, Martin, Val, Jim, Kelly, Jackie, Sheila, Shannon, Helen, Brett, Suzanne, Laurel, Bard, Genevieve. Happy birthday, Genevieve, for the 26th. Shelby, Manny, Laurie, Jill, Laos, Heidi, Paula, Jim, Lisa, Angie, Nancy, Juliet, Scott. Happy birthday to Scott. Anthea, Maria, Tracy, Vernon, Angie, Jamie, Diana, Stefan, Andrew, Georgie, Stephen, Keisha, Mark, Vern, Lachlan, Mandy, Rachel, Nick, Sula, Amy, Diana, Paul P, Paul B, Alicia and Jay Finlinson. And thank you to Joseph. And our special mentions are to Sue D, Joe Robbins, John A. Vink, Michael Spriggs, Glenn Davis and Paul Boozy. Welcome to the podcast. This is Paul Jolly from Sydney, and this is The Big Rat. All right, B, we'll let a bit unpack there. Thank you to Wally and Jane, and uh, thank you to you and Danielle for fan engagement. 
No worries. Yes, that was a great interview. Thank you for uh, um, thinking about the fans that would enjoy that. So thank you to Jane for allowing us to um, air it as well. And like Hayden says, there's a link in the description if you want to listen to the whole interview in full. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, again, Strayed Music Vault is the production banner that uh, Jane heads up and does lots and lots of great work with. Uh, and, you know, do yourself a favour. If you go back and Google Jane Gazzo YouTube interviews, she's got some fantastic uh, artists over her career that she's interviewed as well. Um, excellent journalist. Uh, you said earlier about we have a 10-day uh, auction period with the uh, Michael, sorry, with the Rooms of the Memory album and the uh, auction item for Ollie. That'll probably time us to the next episode because we're going to have a week off next week. We've had a pretty heavy five, six weeks in a row. So uh, there's so much content. If you've been a bit slow in listening to everything, go back and deep dive. But uh, thank you to you. The last five, six weeks been a heavy editing period. We've got, I think, one raffle we need to draw pretty soon, don't we, on our last one. What's happening with that one, with our single? We yes. draw that. When we come back next episode, we will have the two, won't we? We'll be able to tell everybody the right. winner of the auction. And also the 28th is the last day to get your tickets in for the um, raffle that we've got on the website. Right. But Fair we'll enough. have all the links. Best thing is go and, go and check out our website. There's lots of things to um, discover on there. Now, B, just a quick one. I thought on NXS Day I'd do a big shout-out to a great friend of the show and a great, great, great lover uh, of Media Wars, Okay. Can we say hello to, hang on, get the jingle. Okay, here you go, go. Son. You're listening to NXS Access All Areas, and now it's time for one of my favourite segments, Media Wars. Okay, coming back there, we had Kirkster this morning on Sunrise, 46 years. Good on you, Kirk. He was up early on Sunrise giving his little interview on NXS Day. I love the way Kirk, he got up early to beat John, uh, to beat Andrew, to beat Tim, <laughs> to beat Gary in there, carving it up on Sunrise, and he was like a Cheshire. Help himself. He was like a Cheshire cat this morning, B. And you know how I knew about it? A friend of mine, my son's mm-hmm. godfather, texted me saying, hey, hey, have you got anything to do with the NXS book coming? And I said, how do you know about the NXS book? He said, oh, it was on Sunrise this morning. <laughs> oh. So anyway, I said, oh, I said, look, at our NXS our, our uh, peers and friends and fans uh, have a lot to do with them. We had a little bit to do with it. But, um, yes, Kurt was like a Cheshire cat this morning, B. I asked someone to video it for me, but I missed it. He's, yeah. he's been doing a lot of things, but little cameo funny things with, <laughs> um, with Lane. Have you seen them? I have, yes. And he called yes. her a messy bastard. <laughs> right, okay. Yes. Oh, well done, Kurt. Yes. Very funny. Yes. I should be receiving ahead of time, perhaps in September, a month before launch day of the the book so we'll be able to do a little deep dive in looking through the book together on one episode so that will be fun but Hayden have a lovely weekend off I shall I shall and same with you and we, you. Yeah, we thought we would go with the tribute song today uh, we will d- relate it to the auction items that are going out and the raffle items uh, uh, these rooms memory, memory but, but I thought we would do we, we have played rooms the memory, memory edition, edition I think a few, a few weeks, weeks ago, ago Bruce, Bruce, is that right mm-hmm uh, so I thought so what we, we might, might do is, is we, we just, just do the, the, the remix version. Uh, the which remix is version. Michael Hutchins' version. Michael Hutchins' 1986 version. 2023. 
Goodbye from me. And a goodbye, goodbye from, from me. And a goodbye from. See you Peace. next. See you next. That was crap. Hang on. That was crap. Hang on. And it's a goodbye from B. And it's a goodbye from B. Goodbye, everybody.